scripture reading today is from 2 Peter 2, 4 through 12. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Leave such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. Mr. would you remain standing for a moment? I'm going to do something that is new to us as a community. So if you're new and you're like, this is strange, just know this is also new for everybody else in this room. And I want to begin us with a centering prayer, a way to ground ourselves in the story that's been declared today, a way to get into our bodies and into our bones the truth that we are talking about, the message that we proclaim, and the good news of resurrection. So this prayer will come in uh, two steps. The first part of the prayer is a very simple sentence. It's simply, Abba, I belong to you. If you were with us last week, Lydia, our pastor, talked about how Abba is a name of deep intimacy and connection. And so we're going to pray this together. But as we do, here's what I'm going to ask of us, that when you pray Abba, you breathe in. And then when you pray, I belong to you, we all breathe out. It's a sense of our connection to God, that God is with us, that God is present to us. And it is about getting this truth into the very core of us. So we're going to pray that prayer twice, and then there will be a second part, very similar to it, where we will pray, Abba, we'll breathe out, and then we'll pray, we belong to you. We'll lead through each of these parts, and then I will pray for us. So, Missio, would you join me in a centering prayer? The words will be on the screen. We're going to pray this first one twice. So breathe in. Abba, breathe out. I belong to you. Breathe in. Abba, I belong to you. Now, before we do the second part, Missy, would you look around? Don't make it weird. Just look around at the people near you. Take a moment to be present to the people that you see, 
person sitting next to you that maybe you know, the person sitting in front of you that maybe you've never seen before. Be present for just a moment and hold that image, that person in your mind as we move to the second part of the prayer that we will pray twice again. So, Missy, you with me. Would you breathe in? Abba, we belong to you. Abba, we belong to you. Father God, we believe the words that have been declared today. That our story is one of belonging. That from the beginning of the world and from the foundations of this earth, you have been on a mission to make a home for your people. You might reconcile to yourself those who were estranged and dislocated and excommunicated, that you would build a family from people who never would call each other family. So God, today, as we celebrate the story of Easter, as we continue to declare the message of resurrection, and as we continue to center ourselves in the good news of you, would that truth make its way into the very depths of us that we belong to you? Not just individually, not just separately, but our whole story, our whole history, and those that are sitting with us. We together have been made a family that belongs to you. God, help us today believe that our story, our witness, is of belonging. In your awesome and holy name we pray. Amen. Monsieur, you may be seated. Thank you for engaging in that prayer with me. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is uh, Johnny Morris, and I'm also one of the pastors here. And the prayer that we just engaged with is an ad- adapted prayer from an author named Brendan Manning. And I really love Brendan Manning. He wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel and another book called The Furious Love of the Father and a bunch of prayers. And this prayer that we just read today was an adapted version of a prayer that he had written and would pray every single morning for himself. And I love Manning and I love these prayers because I think that in this prayer and in Manning's writing, he has a very deep understanding of the strange world we find ourselves in post-Easter. We believe that Easter Sunday, the resurrection, declares the best news in the world. We believe that it is the declaration that Christ has become victorious over sin and death and evil and all that separates us and all that excludes us and keeps us from the family. We believe that it is the declaration the kingdom is on the horizon and that victory is emerging. We believe that. We celebrate that. It is true. It is good. And yet, I think we also all know that as good as that story is, and as much as we believe it in our head, it can sometimes be difficult for the good news of resurrection to be felt in our bodies or seen in the world around us or lived and expressed in our communities. On Easter Sunday, the story that we told was of the prodigal son. And I love this parable. This is my favorite parable. Uh, If you've been here for like four minutes, you know that. And in the parable, just for a small recap, the prodigal son leaves his father, curses him, 
says, I wish you were dead, and then takes the inheritance the father gives him and spins it in the world. And then he returns, and to everyone's great surprise, except for us today, the father receives him and welcomes him in. And it's a beautiful story. Again, it's a beautiful story about welcome. It's a beautiful story about forgiveness, that the prodigal is forgiven, that the prodigal is received, that the prodigal is restored. But honestly, the party that happens after the prodigal gets home would be so awkward. I don't know if you've ever had family drama and then tried to go have family dinner. Like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know. It is awkward. It's awkward if you just haven't seen your family for a while, let alone if you publicly cursed your dad and said you wished he was dead, took his money, spent it on who knows what. The whole community knows that story. And then you return, and he's like, welcome home, and you have to go sit next to your aunt and your neighbor? What's it, Jerry? He's like, what have you been doing? Oh, you know. It would take a while, no matter how good that story is, no matter how much your father loves you, no matter how much that message is reflected back to you, even if the community around you reflects the message back to you that you are welcomed, that you are forgiven, that you are loved, no matter how much that story was told to you, it would take a while for it to make its way into your very being. For you to sit at that dinner table and actually feel like you belong at that dinner table. For the anxiety and the restlessness and the fear to work itself out of your body so that you would feel comfortable. It takes a bit for resurrection to set in for the good news to make itself feel like good news. And as is true for the prodigal son, it is true for us today. We believe that we are loved. We believe that we are forgiven. We believe that Jesus is restoring us. We believe these things maybe with all of our might, but it can take time for it to sink into our bones, for it to feel true especially in a real world where many of the things around us, many of the stories that we are told, many of the stories we tell ourselves do not speak to our belonging, do not speak to our restoration, do not speak to our forgiveness. That's why I wanted to begin with the prayer that we began with prayer of belonging that tries to take some of that truth in our head and work it into the rest of our being so that we would feel a sense of belonging. That breathing in and breathing out is about like relaxing at the table in a sense. There's a Bible scholar, an author named Frederick Buckner, who says that every time you see the word have faith in scripture, you could probably translate it as relax. So I really love that idea because most of the time it comes to a moment of anxiety. It comes to a moment of restlessness. It comes to a moment of doubt where you grip things so tight in your own chest. And so this statement, have faith, is a statement of relax. Oh, recline at the table for a moment. Feel in the very depths of you that you 
belong here, that you are wanted here, that you are celebrated here. Just relax. Breathe it in and let it fill you. That's why we began with this prayer. And it's also what we're exploring throughout this Easter tide series that we have been in with the grain of the universe. It's a question of how do we relax into resurrection? How do we practice resurrection? How do we experience resurrection even when so much in us or so much around us would deny resurrection? And so far in this series, we've talked about how a wounded healer heals and empowers wounded healers. We've talked about how resurrection is a thing that needs to be practiced, tended like a garden, that it is sprouting up amongst us, but it needs a little bit of love and empowerment from the Spirit. And then last week, Lydia led us in talking about experiencing the love of God in our Father, which is what rooted us in that phrase, Abba. And today we're going to continue that and put some of those pieces together. And we're going to talk about this, that God forms us, into a people, the language of people is important, whose story and witness is belonging. We'll break that statement down, but let me just read it to us one more time. That God forms us into a people, into a community, whose story and witness is belonging. Now, the text that we had read for us this morning by Sandy is in 1 Peter chapter 2. But before we go there, I think it is important, just for the sake of context, to do a little bit of family history. Explore what's happening in the story before we get to 1 Peter 2. Because in this passage, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, he's one of the disciples of Jesus, he's writing a letter to a church And he is pulling on themes that have been running throughout the biblical story for a very long time. So we're going to do some looking, and we're going to study some of those themes and patterns that Peter is pulling on. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you can. Um, You can also borrow one of the Bibles in the seat backs. If you don't own a Bible, that is a gift for you. If you just want to look at the screen, that's also fine. So let's start by going early in the story to Genesis. Genesis is the very beginning of your Bible. We're going to actually go to Genesis chapter 12. If you have a Bible and you want to go to Genesis 12, that's where you can go. But if you know your numbers, before 12 is chapter 11. (laughs) And in chapter 11, we get to this moment that is a climax of something in the story. And it is the climax or the crescendo of the human plight in the book of Genesis, unraveling. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see this story of God creating a world, a home. It's beautiful. It's full of life. It's full of flourishing. God creates humanity, places them in the middle of it, and says, you belong here together and with me. In Genesis 3, we see the rejection of that place and of God's way. And then from Genesis 3 to 11, what we see is a spiral of human life outside of the home God had created. And there's this repeated verbiage that shows up all throughout Genesis 3 through 11. It says the word curse five different times. And the idea is that humans have unleashed a curse 
onto the world. And we see it in these different examples. In Genesis chapter 3, we see a family experience alienation and hostility for the very first time. The text says, oh, that's a curse. In Genesis 4, we see a family ripped apart by greed and exploitation and our very first murder. The text says, that's a curse. In Genesis 5, the spiral continues getting worse, and we get a character who's now bragging about violence and enslaving other people. And again, the text says, oh, that's a curse. In Genesis 6, we have this moment where it gets even worse, and exploitive powers are now taking advantage of women in their communities. And again, it's called a curse. And all of that crescendos in Genesis chapter 11 where people try to build a society on exploitation, taking advantage, and rejecting God and God's people. And if you're reading that story like an ancient Israelite would be, you come to the end of Genesis chapter 11 and you're like, things are bad. What will put this world right? And in Genesis chapter 12, we get the strangest answer to that question. Genesis chapter 12, Verse 1 says, The Lord, the God of Israel, the Creator, said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, your father's household for the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name respected. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. And through you and this small family, all the earth will be blessed. So in the wake of this strange moment in Genesis chapter 11, where the world has been unraveling, God shows up to a small family. It's just Abram, Sarai, and their nephew Lot. That's it. And God says, guess what? We're saving the world. He says, I'm going to make you a people, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the entire world. And the amount of times he says bless is actually kind of important because we read before that the world was cursed five times or named a curse five times. And again, in the text, we see the repetition of bless five times. And the reason is just meant to communicate to us that God is reversing something. God is restoring something. God is renewing something, and that renewing work is going to begin in this strange family. God's going to bless them, and through them, God is going to bless the entire world. Now pay attention to that pattern and that rhythm, because it's going to continue to show up throughout the biblical story. We don't have time to talk about Abram's story. It's pretty good, though. If you haven't read it, you should check it out. But as you trace Abe's story— For a few chapters and a few hundred years, we come to Exodus 19. So if you want to flip over there in your Bible, you're welcome to. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. And this moment looks very similar to the moment that we just were in in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God has just called Abram out of Babel, given them a mission, a name, said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And then in Exodus chapter 19, God rescues Israel. That little tribe has now grown into something of a nation. He's rescued them from Egypt, from being enslaved in this hostile land. He's called them into the wilderness. And he reaffirms all the things that he just told to Abram, but with some twists. 
Genesis, or in Exodus 19, verse 5, God says to the people, you will be my most precious possession. You will be my most precious possession out of all peoples since the whole earth belongs to me. And you will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. These are the words that you should say to the Israelites. So in this moment, God reaffirms all the things that he had just told Abram in Genesis chapter 12, that I will make you a people. I will bless you. You will be my precious possession amongst all the world. But then he adds this thing to it and says, you will be a nation of priests. It's an interesting language because in the ancient world, nations had priests. There was like communities of holy men inside of a nation who would mediate the presence of God or the way of God or the activity of God's to the nation around them. They had a sacred function to help people experience God. The most basic understanding of what a priest is, a person who helps people experience God. But God says to the whole nation of Israel, your purpose as a nation is to help people experience me. I've rescued you, I have called you, I have blessed you, and the reason I have done those things is so that you might help people experience me. And the way that happens for Israel is that they live in unique proximity to God. God gives them the temple in which his presence dwells in the middle of the community, and from that connection they are supposed to mediate or extend God's presence to the world around them. Now we see a pattern in these two stories. In each of them, we see this like consistent theme that's showing up, that God rescues, God rescues Abe from Babel. You think it's okay I call him Abe? Are we on that kind of basis at this point? It's all right, he's dead. God rescues Abe from Babel. God rescues Israel from Egypt. And then God forms a people. From that small family or from that small tribe, God forms a people. And then God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a special possession. I'm going to be with you. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. You will experience renewal. You will experience healing. You'll experience restoration. And through that gift of restoration, it will spread to the whole world. Now that leads us to our text today, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 10. And the reason we did this journey through these texts is because Peter picks up on all this language, all this hope, all this history building, and says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become the people so that you may proclaim the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness and into his amazing light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So in this moment, Peter picks up all those themes, all that history, all that narrative that we just looked at from Genesis chapter 12 
to Exodus and all the stories we just did not have time for that lead through hundreds and thousands of years to this moment. And Peter says, here it is. You have been rescued. You have been made a people. And you have been blessed so that you might be blessed. The pattern is re-emerging. And yet, there's actually something about this moment that is very different than the moments that just showed up in the text that we looked at. Something that does not fit the pattern, but is very important for us. In Genesis 12... God spoke to a biological family. People who were related by blood. In Exodus 19, God spoke again to a people who were united by blood. They all came from Abram, and they have been formed into a tribe or a country or even an ethnic people group. So there is something that unites these people. There's something that brings them together, their biology, their history, and their family of origin, and even their political interests as a community But in 1 Peter, this is being written to us. This is being written to the church. The time, a small church in Galatia who was made up of Jewish believers who get to call this their story and also Gentile believers, non-Jewish peoples who didn't know this story, didn't know this history. And Peter writes to them, and says, you people who are not a part of this story, who have no biological connection, who have no shared political interest. In fact, your political interests might be divergent from this small community. No, you are a people. Not united by biology or proximity or interest, but you have been made, despite your diversity or in with your diversity, despite the fact you come from every corner of the earth, you have been made into a new people. Now this may not seem all that significant to us today, but in Ephesians 3 verse 5 through 6, the Apostle Paul will tell us why this matters so much. In Ephesians 3 verse 5 through 6, he'll say this, earlier generations, so those people we just talked about, they did not know God's hidden plan that has now been revealed. It's been revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets through the Spirit. And this is the plan that was hidden and has now been revealed, that the Gentiles, you and me, would be co-heirs in parts of the same body, and that we would share with the Jews in the promise of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is a crazy sentence to just, like, sit with for a moment. Paul is saying in this moment, that whole story that we just read, that long extended family history that you were like, why am I listening to this? The whole reason for that is so that you would know that the purpose of that story, the purpose of that work is so that you could belong. The whole story is about creating a place in which you and I would find our sense of belonging. The whole story, from Genesis 12 to now, the whole purpose of it was so that you and I would belong. That was the hidden plan. Paul will say in other places, that was the mystery of the gospel. The big reveal was that you and I could belong. The work of rescue, the work of forming a people, is so that you and I could become family 
co-heirs, full members of the people of God. Monsieur, this is our story. And I think it is important to retell this story from beginning to end because it is not often the story that we tell ourselves. It's also not often the story that the world or even religious people around us tell us that we belong. It is often much easier to believe that we do not belong to the people of God, that we don't belong anywhere at all. And that is often reflected back to us from the communities around us, from the leadership around us, from the stories that we tell, maybe even our family of origin or just the messages that we internalize. And maybe this is just me. I am an Enneagram 4, if you're an Enneagram person, um, which means I have two big fears, not being special. And number two, not belonging. I constantly worry, and again, this is maybe just my own fear reflected back, but I worry that in the story of the prodigal son that I am the older brother in the fields looking in as they throw a party for the younger brother, wondering if I'm wanted in that party. There is a deep fear within me that wonders if I belong. And I don't think that I am alone in that fear. I don't think I'm alone in feeling like that is the story that is often reflected or the message that I internalize. This is why we need to retell our family history because, Missio, this story, it is our family story. That God's primary work, God's primary mission, God's primary purpose since the beginning of our time and to this moment has been to create a space in which you belong, to make you family, to make me family. Missio, in Christ, our story is one of belonging. Regardless of what any other story tells us, regardless of what any other story we reflect back to ourselves says, our story is one of belonging. And Peter says it is this story, this belonging, that we then proclaim or declare to the world around us. That word proclaim or declare is quite interesting. It only shows up here in the New Testament. I don't normally like to do Greek studies, but I did spend like 12 years in school, so you got to flex it every once in a while. <laughs> got to put that money to work. The word is exangelo, and it's very closely related to evangelize, evangelo, to the word gospel. But it only shows up in this strange context, and scholars wonder what this word's context, its history is, and most believe that it comes from like the Roman and Greek world around Peter, who would use this word to talk about telling a story. That when Caesar would win a war, you would ex angelo, you would publish the story of victory. You would publish the story of some accomplishment. The direct translation of the word, if you look it up, is just publish abroad. Tell the story abroad. And I, sometimes I like to look up words that I don't know very well in other translations, and I really liked how the King James Version translated it. It was a shoe forth, 
S-H-E-W, shoe forth. And I was like, I don't know what that means. So I Googled it, and shoe forth is an old English way of saying show. Big reveal. <laughs> that people leaning in like it was going to be really cool. To show. I really love that. Peter is saying the thing that we show, the story we tell, the story we publish abroad, or the thing that we live in our bodies, the thing that we show and tell the world around us is what? Oh, that we belong somewhere. That once you were not a people and now you have been made a people, despite all the differences, despite all the divergencies, despite all the hostilities, Paul was saying in Ephesians 2, that you did not belong and now you belong and no one can tell a different story. Nothing can write over you some other message. No, no, this is the one that you proclaim. This is the story you show. And it is through showing this story that you bless the world. God has formed a people, blessed them and said, be a blessing. How are we a blessing today? Paul says, once you are not a people, now you are a people. So tell and show that story to the world around you. Missio, our witness, to use another bible word that Jesus will often use to describe what we are called to, Witness is like that. Tell a story. Our witness is our belonging. Our witness is our belonging, that we have been made a people. That we get to live a people. That we get to live and show and tell belonging. And through our demonstration of belonging, we tell Jesus' story. When I was a kid, I've talked about this before, but when I was a kid, my dad died. I was really young. I was right about two. And we were very involved in a local church here in Utah. And a very strange group of people within that church, I mean, the whole church was strange. (laughs) Just like so much shade at them. Uh, Beautiful group of people. But like a strange group of people. They're all like transplants from the South. Uh, We had purple carpet and lots of like weird fake gold filigree on the wall. Uh, Everybody wore suits and big hats, but it was in Midvale. So you're like, this vibe is weird. (laughs) So a strange community, a strange context. But we were really involved there. And after my father died, that church made an extraordinary commitment to be my family. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be this kid's family. And so a strange conglomerate of men stepped into my life to be dad-like figures. Like, I did science projects with random mechanics because I didn't, you know, who was going to teach me about science? If I had to go on a trip, often someone in that church would take me on a trip. My godfather was the pastor of that church, and he took his job so seriously. He would take me camping, on road trips. He would talk to me about girls. The whole thing that a family was supposed to do. My grandma died she moved out here to take care of us after my father died, but then died about a year later. And a woman in the church named Reba, who uh, in many ways was Reba McIntyre. <laughs> Look at the, the hair color and everything. She's an amazing woman. Uh, 
she's like this tall, uh, and she drove a tractor for a living, just like an amazing human being. She became Grandma Reba. And she took that job so seriously. She cared for me. I stayed at her home. She loved me. She'd bring me presents. She knew every special event that was true of my life. She was, in every way, my grandma. When you grow up without a dad, many of you probably know this in different kinds of ways or in your own experience, but when you grow up without a father, you just feel estranged. There's like something normal happening in the world around you, and then you're not experiencing that normal. So this community, this very strange conglomerate of humans, gave me a family, a place to belong despite how strange it felt, so that I would feel less strange with them in many ways. Or maybe I would feel strange with them, at least. And I hadn't thought about this that much lately, and I, and I hadn't thought about them in a while lately, but yesterday I went to a funeral Uh, which is never the reason that you want to reconnect with people, but sometimes funerals tend to be the moment that you reconnect with people you haven't seen in a long time. So I went to this funeral, and so many of these people I had grown up with but haven't seen in maybe a decade, they were there. And it brought home this story of belonging and what this practice and witness of belonging can be. Because each person that I interacted with well, it was like interacting with family. They hugged me, and then every person who would do it, especially the ones who were like older, they would hug me, and then they would step back, and they would hold me by the shoulders. They would up, down, and they'd be like, Johnny, you look so good. We are so proud of you. And you could feel it. These are people who had given me a place to belong, who had made it possible for me to get to the place that I am in Today, these strangers created a home for a kid who felt so heartsick he didn't know where he belonged. And Missio, I think this is the job of the church. We witness to the world around us a different story when we belong and when we create places of belonging for those who don't know where they belong either. We offer them a new family history because mine felt like it was tinged in sadness, but now I have a new strange family history that i got to call this random Texan my godfather and Reba McIntyre my grandmother. <laughs> Stuck, she, that's who she is. It gives us a new history, a new ancestry, a new story, one of deep belonging, not one of estrangement or alienation. In that small church in Midvale, Utah, with big hats and purple carpet, I was rescued and formed into a people. Missy, our witness is our belonging. It is the way we live out the great mystery of Christ that I and you could be at home together despite whatever other stories are told, despite what other narratives are reflected, despite what other experiences we have had, we belong. And because we belong, we are not content to let anyone not belong. Because we have been made a people, we cannot be content with other people's lack of belonging when they are alienated or excluded. Father Gregory Boyle 
who runs a ministry called Homeboy Industries. We've talked about him quite a few times. He calls belonging kinship. And there's this really a marvelous quote from him that I'm going to read to you about what happens when we know our own belonging and what it does in us and how it moves out from us. Boyle writes this. He says, Kinship is inching ourselves closer to creating a community of belonging or kinship so that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle, moving ourselves ever closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. Because we have been formed into a people, because we have been given a place to belong, we are not content without creating belonging for others. It moves from us to heart-sick kids and to beyond. Miss you, our witness and our story is belonging. That's the mystery of the gospel, the plan that was unfolding since the beginning, that you and I could find a home together. And in the goodness and mercy and hospitality of our Savior, participate in making a home for others. So, Missio, what story do you tell yourself? Do you tell yourself a story of belonging? of welcome and acceptance, a story that would give you a sense of ease when you sit at the table, a story that enables you to have faith or relax with God. And what story are you living out? Is it a story of belonging, a story of welcome, Are you as eager to help other people relax at the table as God has been to help you relax at the table? What story do you tell yourself and what story are you living? In a moment, we will gather at this table. We do this every single week, and the reason that we do it every single week is because we remember that Christ's body was broken, his blood was spilt, for this story that we just declared so that we could belong to the family of God, that we could be made heirs and children and family, that any wall of hostility could be broken down and we could find a place to belong. But before we go there, I'd like to do our centering prayer again. We've just declared the story that we belong that our story and our witnesses is belonging. But if it only stays that story, then I don't know that we've done anything all that helpful. It needs to get into us. So, Missio, would you, if you're able, would you stand with me? The words, again, will come up on the screen and we'll use the same rhythm that we did before. 
enter in and center ourselves in our own belonging. And then I want to look around again and center ourselves in our shared belonging. And then I'll pray for us and we'll come to the table. So Missio, would you engage again in this centering prayer? Breathing in, breathing out, praying. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Take a moment just to, again, look around. Who is with you? Who is seated beside you? Just be present, attentive. I'm going to offer these prayer again. Abba, we belong to you. Abba, we belong to you. God, we belong to you. The story that you have declared over us, through us, and to us today is that since the beginning of this world, you have been on a mission to make us family. That is our story. That is the truth of the gospel, the mystery hidden away and now revealed in Christ. And so as we declare it, and as we talk about it, and as we gather at the table, and as we try to center ourselves in you, would it make its way into us? Would we relax and know ourselves as deeply rooted, deeply connected to you? God, as we know our own belovedness and our own belonging, would it then shape us into a people of belonging whose witness and story and life and proclamation is belonging. It is a discontentment with exclusion and a growing circle of compassion. So God, bring it home to our hearts, our lives, our communities. Make it real in us. In your name we pray. Amen.